Welcome to the Fan Experience Experience with Darren and Mark and a special guest. Welcome to the Fan Experience Experience podcast series. Each podcast, as I'm sure you know by now, will explore a different element of the fan experience and fan engagement. Some of them will look at the matchday experience, while others will look at more broader themes. Uh, but every podcast aims to deliver value to anyone listening in football, or indeed any other spectator sport. So whether it's general advice you're after, or ways to help you start a conversation with your own colleagues, we reckon a regular dose of the fan experience experience will make a difference for you. So join me, Mark. And me, Darren, as we explore ways of improving the experience on match days, making clubs more sustainable and relying less on winning to keep fans engaged. And of course, if you'd like to find out more about what we do, you can check out www.fanexperienceco.com. You can also follow us on Instagram, fanexperience.co, where you'll find lots of videos of um, some of the clubs we visited when doing our assessments. Of course, on Twitter. And, um, and also you can now listen to our podcasts on the major hosting sites such as Spotify, um, Stitcher, uh, Apple, Google and others where we recommend you listen to them at 0.5 speed because apparently we make a lot of sense slowed down. It's much more fun and um, obviously it, uh, it allows you to enjoy a half an hour over 60 minutes, which is even more fun if that were possible. Uh, so Darren, hi, what have you been up to? Um, much of much of the same, really. Um, I, try, I tried to catch you out with a question like that at some stage during yeah, the podcast. You always managed to do it as well. But um, yeah, I've, I've been doing lots of lots of important work for the Fan Experience Company. What, what else would I be doing? Well, that's it, of course. Thank you very much. That's, <laughs> that's wonderful. Um, we're really um, happy tonight because we've got Stuart Fuller with us. Uh, Stuart is a chairman of uh, Lewis FC, a quality FC, as many of the people who follow us will know, and. We love him and his club for the fact that they're different. I could not tell you the number of times that I've um, mentioned Lewis when presenting, when talking to people, whether it be um, relaunching the, the Danish Women's League or the top tier of the Norwegian Women's League, whether it's talking to clubs in Moldova and Estonia about taking a different approach to give themselves a platform for growth, or whether it's here, whether it's here in England. And... Um, that high-pitched noise was the producer telling me to hurry up. So without further ado, Stuart, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Good to be here. Yeah. Hi, Stuart. No, Hi. It's nice to have you here. So, so how, how did it all start? How did you get involved in the first place? And, and how did um, Lewis become different, for want of a, a better word? Um, they're sort of all um, related to each other. Um, it is... Um, I was a West Ham fan. Um, uh, I've been through the good times, which there's been very few at West Ham, and the bad times, which there's been a lot. Now, I was a realist. We were never really going to be a good uh, challenger at the top of the league, and I just sort of got really fed up with the um, uh, when the new owners came in and some of their promises that were obviously not going to happen. And as a fan, I just didn't feel as if I had any um, affinity with what they were trying to do. And at the same time, um, through I was still doing my travels throughout Europe and researching books and things like that. And uh, one of my friends who, who had a similar hobby said, well, why don't you come down and watch this, this team called Lewis? And I was like, I have no idea who Lewis are. I don't even know where the place is. And so I went down and met him. And at the time, Lewis were in the conference. Or conference the South, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the National Premier. So it was their one season. 
um, which was disastrous um, on and off the pitch. But it was brilliant because you could go down there and you could have a um, drink and you could, um, yeah, it was just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And um, one of the things that I, I loved so much about it was that people cared. And it wasn't just about the football. It was, it was about what was happening. It was the 90 minutes became a little bit more irrelevant. Yeah. And then the club went through um, some significant issues off the pitch. Um, and in um, uh, 2010, 11, that's when it went into fan ownership. Yeah, it's interesting and because as, as everyone will know, um, are you on to the third volume of the football tourist now? Is that right? Uh, yes, the third volume. It's, so it's due to be published very, very soon. Yes, well, we couldn't, you know, couldn't go without giving that a plug. But of course, there you are, travelling around, well, the world. I've been following you recently on Instagram and you've been kind of doing a bit of reminiscing and posting pictures from, you know, games from all over the world in all sorts of different sports. Unlike everybody, you're obviously drawn to non-league because of that kind of just the fact that it is relaxing, it's informal, and a lot of the things that kind of make football at a high level frustrating, you know, are not there. But that might lead you with, in a, in a fan-owned club, to think, well, let's just do that. Let's just make sure we've got some decent beer. Let's just make sure that we've got, I don't know, you know, we've got, um, you know, plenty of things going on. But, you don't, but you've done things a lot differently. And, and a lot of that, I understand, went back to that original team of the, the kind of the board once the club was fan-owned. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, so, the, so when the club went into fan ownership, there was, a, there was a group of six guys, none of whom really knew anything about football, no background in football at all, a couple of journalists, you know, a fund manager, someone who had sold a marketing company, a couple of screenwriters. And um, they decided that the club needed to be the, at the heart of the community and community needed to be at the heart of the club. Yeah. And the decision was made then is that we'll fall to as low as we have to in order to stabilise, in order to grow our model. Mm -hmm. But the most important thing about it was that we would challenge the norm. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that someone said very early on, um, so I joined the board um, the following year. Yeah. Um, one of the first things that someone said to me was that you're not going to be successful because you know nothing about football. <laughs> and our point was, well, show us a success story of a club that hasn't had a sugar daddy and then we'll tell you that that's been a success. Yeah. Um, so we challenged everything and we started doing everything differently. Um, and that was, we started off with match posters because we felt that we had to re-engage with the local community. So we started designing match posters, which nobody was doing at the time. And we tried to make them eye-catching and different. We then looked at um, various promotions uh, within the club um, we looked at the food, we looked at the drink. Um, the ground itself was still, you know, a bit of a crumbling wreck. Yeah. And not much has changed with the ground over the last decade. You know, we've put the beach huts in that have been a fantastic success, which again, people thought that was a joke. And we sort of said the joke was on them when they paid for themselves after about three months. And that was <laughs> six years ago. Um, and, you know, we always try and do things differently. And when and when I've been talking to Darren about Lewis, because he's not had the pleasure yet, and you know, you, you also had um, the Amex Stadium, didn't you? That was that was growing, mm. and while they were in the, um, uh, it always escapes me, the With Dean, wasn't it? The With, With Dean, Dean yeah. when, when they were in um, 
out there kind of um, away from the rest of us. And then, of course, now they're in the Premier League with 27,000, 28,000 at a brand new stadium. So, of course, you know, the, the, the pressure is on you even more. And there's a couple of things that, and I know, you, you know, you, you, you brushed past. And one is the posters. But actually, the posters were based on kind of films, weren't they? On album covers, yeah. iconic images with just one right. or two, you know, small... I mean, the one that, yeah. that brings to mind is springs to mind is the Metropolitan Police one where you use the Banksy, yeah. the, Banksy one, yeah. the two Met Police embracing. And, yeah. you know, that's been the kind of thing. So that, that kind of transcends the usual, you know, I'll buy a couple of things from the fan shop. And you've got those people around Europe picking up on that and thinking, I'll buy it, I'll buy some of that. You know, and then, yeah. when you, then, then you've also talked about um, some other elements of the match day, but it really is very, very different. You know, usually you, you say, Mark, that I haven't had the pleasure, but interestingly, I feel like I have because I must have used the picture of the beach huts <laughs> in slides all over Europe. <laughs> so I feel like I've, I've been to the ground because I can just picture the beach huts um, yeah. as, if, as if I was standing, standing next to one now. And they're not just beach huts either. Each one is done out differently. I think when I was there, um, and I was there on a non-match day, I think one was done out like a kind of, you know, Georgian yeah. hotel, wasn't yeah. there? Yeah. There's one that's completely football themed. So we got a local artist to do all his um, football um, things, which has got, it's got a Sabutio table in. Um, uh, we've got one uh, that is, is done out um, uh, as a tea room inside. Um, so we, yeah, again, even those things, you will try and do little things differently. Um, yeah. Our media center is a shed um, that's painted very nicely on a, on a platform next to the pitch. Um, and yeah, everything we try and do, we just want to be a bit different. Yeah, and of course, the benefit of all of this is that um, you, you also have the um, you have the the other field, you have four G field, don't you? Yeah. So a few years ago, through a um, we did a share issue, a community share issue, and um, we built a three four G facility um, adjacent on the adjacent land to to where we are. Yeah. Um, which is again, it's a community asset. It's used for all by all sorts. It's used by our men's vets, our women's vets, our under thirteens, our under fourteens. Um, it's the home pitch for our ladies' um, foundation squad and reserve teams. Um, so yeah, it's it's used constantly. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of that's some, that, that's where you kind of depart slightly. You know, where most football clubs, you know, we're talking at the moment about. Um, that thing that you never thought would happen happening where something could, could you know, could put a lot of non-league clubs, if not the majority yeah. out of business. And, um, and, you know, a lot of them, they are, they have something which is magical. You know, they're friendly, they're warm, kids can run around, you can have a nice beer, you can sit in comfort, um, you can park for free. And the general theme that we tend to find is that the clubs hide their lights under a bushel. They don't promote their assets. And, so I think that's a little bit different with yourselves. You generally, you, you genuinely have gone out and told people about you, not, mm. not locally, but to the point that you're, you know, one of the top ground hopping uh, visiting places. And of course, having the railway yeah. station within a few yards of your clubhouse, you know, helps. But you do, uh, I'm always very conscious of three things about the club identity, community engagement, but then not losing it in the fan experience as well and actually offering something together then. So you can, you can see that, 
the result of that means that you have a much higher profile in the vicinity and people are not just coming to you for the football. So you get what Dan from mm. Bohemians called high quality fans. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> do, do you, well, I'm saying that. Is that what you've experienced? Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. We won the sort of best away day award in the Isthmian leagues for the last few years. We won the um, Supporters Direct or whatever it is now, the um, uh, Football Supporters Association um, best away day um, yeah. steps three and below um, last year. Yeah. Um, I think it was the um, Huffington Post a few years ago rented us as one of the top 10 football destinations in the world. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I remember seeing that. Yeah. yeah. Um, which isn't bad because, you know, I wouldn't say we go out of our way to, you know, to, to really make a massive effort. All we do is we just challenge and question things. Yeah. Um, we've now got um, a guy who runs our facilities. Um, he's a director. Um, Steve Keegan is he's um, run and, and set up and run a number of craft breweries. So he's completely revolutionised the the bar and the rook in. Um, and we're looking at ways in which we can use that, especially you know in COVID times. So potentially like Munich style beer garden on the pitch and things like that um, that could be coming in the next couple of weeks. Funny story this, so we, last year, last summer, so he did all the work and he went round, we had Harvey's and we had two other local breweries. Um, Gunn was one, um, I think Franklin was the other. And he put all their beers on tap and it was brilliant and everyone loved it, apart from the players. Right. Why haven't we got any Budweiser? What's happened to the Fosters? <laughs> so literally we have to buy in crates of Budweiser and Fosters just for the players. There's always someone wants to spoil it, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> Stuart, just one, one, one thing that's really, um, I just wanted to go back to was, was the fans. Because yeah. obviously, you know, the club's 100% fan now. And anyway, so fans are making the, the decisions. But I was just wondering about the other fans, if you like. The fans who just, you know, go week in, week out to watch games. How, how they find it. Because when we spoke to Daniel at Bohemians, one of the things that really struck us was that he said he thought that winning on, you know, the actual winning the match was, was for a fan in the fans' list of priorities only accounted for about 5%. I just wonder what you thought of that in, in terms of your experience. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, in, in 10 years that I've been involved in the club, uh, we've only had three seasons where we finished above 11th. Um, and one of those, we came second. Yeah. Um, so to us, uh, winning, it's never been about winning. Mm-hmm. To us, it's been about the players putting in a decent performance. And even when we went down, the last time we went down, which was five seasons ago, the support from the fans, especially away from home, even though we knew we were going down, um, was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Because what they want to see is they want, they want to see players that care. They want to see players that, that really care for playing for Lewis. And if those players are 16, 17 years old that are coming up through our youth teams and things like that, the crowd love that. Yeah, of course we want to win. But this sort of goes back to this whole the reason why I'm a West Ham fan. It was about bringing those youngsters through and it was about the performance in some instances rather than the result. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of fixation in, in football, especially non-league football these days, about the result. And there's silly money being thrown around tra- chasing the dream. And 
you know, I feel sorry for certain clubs this year who, um, you know, the league is null and void, but there's a lot of money that's gone into that investment. And um, you just think, is it worth it? Yeah. You know, because if we want to go up, we could throw money at it. Without a doubt, we could throw money. We know roughly how much we'd have to throw at it to go up. Yeah. But then next season, we're going to be in the, we'd be in the, or the season after, we'd be in the, the, the National League South. Yeah. We'd have to find probably four, five thousand pounds a week more yeah. just to compete. And it's like, why? You know, that's, that's mad. And yeah, we want to play at the highest level. And of course we do. We also have to be realistic. You said, Stuart, and I thought it was really interesting, and I actually scribbled it down because it really, really struck struck with me about the ninety minutes being. I think you used the word irrelevant. I'm, I'm, I, I totally understand the context you mean that in. So, how do the fans react to that? Do they? Do you think they think it's irrelevant, or do you think they they sort of buy into the much bigger picture? I think they buy into the bigger picture. I, I wouldn't say that necessarily is irrelevant. Um, I think that. You know, last last season we we had a we had a poor season. You know, we we, we finished the season in sixteenth. Um, we were on the, the the cusp of the the bottom three. Um, and in every game apart from one, when the players came off, they were applauded by the crowd for the effort. We might have lost, but they were applauded by the by the crowd. And it was just one game where it turned, and that was a. We lost 6-1 at home to a team where they had six shots on goal, we had 10, and they scored six and we scored one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, th- there was no doubt that was a, that was a, you know, a tipping point in, in the fortunes of the club because the crowd did turn around and they, you know, they weren't happy and you could understand why. Yeah. Um, so I think that there is a, there is a balance. Um, I think people want to see us competing and, I think one of the issues is that you know when you're completely outclassed. You know when you're the worst team in the league. And we've never, ever been the worst team in the league in the last decade. One thing that you have got is a strategy, don't you? Because remember, you're sharing it. Yeah. You have a very clear plan for what it is that you're doing. And that, you know, clearly transcends the football. You know, it's about, it is about community engagement. And you're sticking to that plan. And mm. a couple of things that it's brought you has been the the global coverage of the decision to provide the same budget for both your men's and your women's team. Yeah. You know, for a club your size to be in the press in Australia, North America, South America, you know, all at the same time is is quite remarkable. Mm. You've also, I guess more of an indirect link, led to a play um that's done the rounds as well because wasn't Patrick Marber part of your original? Yes, correct. Yes, so the Red Lion. Yes, the yeah, Red that was his play. Yeah, yeah. So was was he a, was he a, fan, a football fan before he joined the board, or has his experience of Lewis kind of sharpened his his perception of football and his ability to bring it to life in in that play? Um, he supported Arsenal all his life, so he's yeah. known nothing about football. He knows nothing about football. That's yeah. okay. That's that's. Um, <laughs> So his story was, I mean, he, he lives in London um, with his family and he also had a house down in Sussex, um, which he went to, to when he was writing. And one day he just happened to be in Lewis. Um, he needed to get saying he, he parked in the car park next to the ground, didn't even realise there was a football ground there. 
Uh, his son said, should we sneak in, you know, go and have a game of football? So they did on the pitch and he sort of fell in love with it from there. <laughs> um, yeah, and his um, red line is a story, for those who don't know, it's a story about a a non-league football club and about uh, a manager who's a little bit shady and a guy who's the club legend um, who does every job under the sun and this young hopeful player um, that the club get in and about the trials and tribulations um, about them. But doesn't that kind of almost in some way um, just summarise what it is that you're trying to do? You know, the challenge between sitting back and let football be what it usually is, which is, you know, good money after bad, you know, just for a, for a great cup draw, maybe one year every 25, but actually doing something which, which is not just meaningful, but it is sustainable. It is yeah. capable of making a difference while still getting a fantastic cup draw, you know, one yeah. year 25. Um, yeah. It, it, and, and so that's, that, that's been fairly evident. What, when the, the equality FC thing, was that something that did it just did it just hit somebody out the blue like the, the best ideas often do? Was it something you worked on for a while? So what was the what was the genesis of the um, the equal pay for the men and the women's team, or at least the um, budgets? So one of our one of our directors, um, Ed Ramsden, um, highly intelligent um, person, very involved in in the global um, stock market. Um, it was one of his ideas. He's had lots of these sort of brainwave ideas and, and he sort of thought about it. And he, again, he, he challenges himself and says, what, what is stopping us doing this? And, um, he pitched it to us, um, as, as a board and we thought about it. And then we put together a plan. Um, it was around, uh, nine months. Um, he put in, um, so he stood for a, re-election in the October and he put it in his election address. This is what we're going to do. And um, we then spent sort of seven months working on it and uh, trying to, to, to make sure that we could do everything and how we would plan it and everything like that. And then we launched mm -hmm. um, in a very similar way to, you know, when we decided that we wanted to apply for a, a spot in the, um, the women's championship. Again, that was something that was planned for, you know, a, a good year. In advance and we had a lot of help from you know, external people who were willing to give up their time um, to help us create a bid um, and uh, yeah we, we've sort of taken it from there you know to us the next step for um, for the women's side is is the Super League mm -hmm. um, and we feel that you know we're we're pretty close to being able to to play in the Super League and then after that who knows but yeah our our uh, our aspirations certainly on the on the women's side are, are a lot higher um, than where the, the club, well, a division higher. Yeah. On the men's side, who knows? I think there is, you know, part of the beauty of Lewis is is that you can watch the football, you can have a beer, um, and unfortunately, because football fans are so badly behaved when they have alcohol, according to our our esteemed leaders. Um, you lose that as soon as you get into the conference or the national premier now. Yeah. Stuart, just, I was looking on, on the club's website and saw all the, the various ownership options. Mm. Um, and, and one thing that, again, sort of jumped out at me was the, the lifetime ownership, which yep. I thought was a great idea, but also the gift ownership as yes. well. So I, a, a really, um, uh, well, you, you tell me, but it sounded like a great way of introducing the fans to the club as well. 
Yeah, so gift ownership has become really popular. Um, just the number of people buying um, ownerships for somebody for Christmas or, you know, for Father's Day or, or whatever. That's become really, really popular. Um, and at the moment, we're actually doing a crowdfunding ourselves to replace our, our floodlights, um, which little spot of trivia for you. Um, were originally funded by a concert in the town by Pink Floyd. Oh. In 1968. If only we had another... 30 minutes four to, hours. <laughs> to discuss this you really <laughs> yeah. a big interest yeah, so, um, I, won't, I won't go into the uh, the fact that um the um my cousin's husband went to school with um sid barrett's story here but that's a long story that's uh but anyway listen we've reached the point where i say it's time for the roundup thank you for that one cameron and um, and it, i mean it goes without saying it, it's something that we share with everybody we speak to especially clubs that are trying to build a strategy for growth outside of success on the pitch you know we're trying to get clubs to recognize that you know that's the one area you can't control but you can control every single element of the type of strategy that you've heard Stuart describe um, this evening so Stuart, thanks for spending half an hour with us um it's going to be a fantastic listen for everybody out there um let me come back to the roundup and we just have one story for the roundup this evening and again it's a sign of challenging times for football especially in non-league but uh, as Stuart's mentioned there's a crowdfunder also going on at prescott cables we mentioned the cables because um, we recently did an assessment uh, for them as uh, part of a, a kind of a deep dive assessment program uh, pilot for the FA and a fantastic club again with um, a huge yeah. emphasis off the pitch and a lot of focus on making sure that first time fans get a great experience and what they're doing with a hashtag up the cables is trying to raise £10,000 to help the club have a, a, a foundation really for moving forward next season. The race 1500 in just two days and what they've said is that um, if they get beyond 10,000 then a significant percentage of that, I think it's 10%, will be going to local charities. So that news brings us to the end of this podcast. So I'd like to thank Stuart. Thanks for coming Stuart. Thanks for being no with us. Thanks guys. And Darren as ever for, for taking time to be with us. To our producer and also to you for listening. So thanks for joining us on the Fan Experience Experience podcast, and we'll see you next time. And don't forget to check out our new website at fanexperienceco.com. The Fan Experience Experience was recorded live. See you next time.